Uh, our, our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 54 through 56. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Our hearts and minds are open. So excited to be here with you all this morning. You know, I don't usually get to worship in the church that's getting ready to send a team of volunteers to work with us the week before they come. This is, this is wonderful. It's been great to get to speak with so many of you this morning who are coming to Costa Rica next week. That's fantastic. Uh, I want to start off this morning by saying thank you. Uh, I want to thank you all for your faithfulness to us to my family, to our staff, and to the ministry, to the kingdom work that we're doing together in Costa Rica. You really, you have no idea what it means to us to know that you guys walk alongside us uh, in ministry together. So thank you for that. You know, those verses that Robert just read, they're kind of weird. Um, the, you know, the flesh eating and blood drinking and, and that kind of stuff. So what I really want to talk about this morning is, is something that comes at the end of, of verse 56, which is a word that Jesus uses there at the end, uh, the word abide. Now, mino is the Greek word that gets translated as abide in English. And uh, in the Gospel of John, he uses that word 40 different times in the gospel. And the folks at Webster define abide as to bear patiently, to wait for, to accept without objection. But the Bible seems to imply a meaning of, of a deep spiritual connection, a shared commitment or sustained an unbroken fellowship with someone or with Christ. Abide. Now I'm confident that most of you who are here this morning know how the Bible begins. Regardless of how many failed attempts we may have had in our lives at trying to read the Bible from beginning to end, I bet most of us probably start at the same part, at the beginning, in Genesis. And the picture that the first two chapters of Genesis paints for us is it's pretty idyllic. Adam and Eve with everything that they need, including unspoiled companionship with the creator. And we know what happens next. Because of sin, that perfect holy friendship was destroyed. Now, Old Testament chronology is a little bit tricky, but Exodus tells us that basically hundreds of years later, God provided manna for the Israelites in the desert. They were hungry, they needed food, God provided. That relationship was still broken, but God is still caring for his children. 
But even so, the Bible says that some of them grumbled and didn't believe. 2,000 years later, Jesus miraculously provided bread for people in Capernaum. And Jesus knew that the crowds that gathered after that, a lot of them were just there for the free food. And when he explained to them that he was the bread of life, here's God still trying to recover what was lost. Just like in the desert, some grumbled and walked away, not understanding that what they were being offered was a chance to abide again. The crowds just wanted free food and they completely missed out on the gift of understanding what it means to abide in Christ and for Christ to abide in each one of us. I gotta tell you, I have to wonder how many times I have grumbled and walked away from abiding relationships because they didn't provide me with what I wanted when I wanted it. But do you see the trajectory here from the garden to the desert to Capernaum and how the story revolves around God's desire to recover what was lost? That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I abide in them. In early spring 2001, towards the end of my first year of seminary, I got an unexpected phone call. I don't remember ever having had a conversation with the wife of the dean before that. But she called me to tell me that they were creating a new program that would give the opportunity to a handful of students to spend the summer working with the Methodist Church in South Africa. And they hadn't intended on sending a first year student, but for some reason, they wanted to know if I was interested in going. Now, I wish I could tell you all that I had taken a really long time to really think about it and pray about it, and I immediately said, yes, I will go. Thank you for this opportunity. I spent as much time as I could between that phone call and my departure for Johannesburg reading anything that I could get my hands on about South Africa. And by the time I got there, I was pumped up. I was more than a little excited. And as soon as I got there, I went straight to see the bishop that I was gonna be working with because I was ready. And I wanted to know, what do you want me to do? He, he looked at me with a mixture of, I think, confusion and probably some pity and said, I don't want you to do anything. I thought, what? I just flew halfway around the planet. I'm only here for 90 days. The clock is ticking. What do you want me to do? No, Will. Don't do anything. Just spend the next two or three weeks watching and listening, getting to know how this church works, seeing the different kinds of ministry that's happening here, getting to know the people here and and letting them get to know you. Then we'll have a conversation about what you might do for the rest of the time that you're here. That was some of the best advice I have ever gotten in my life. What he was telling me to do was just abide. Just be patient 
just be here, just be. And what followed over the next three months was one of the most formative periods in my life. And in many ways, the lessons that I learned and the relationships that I built became fundamental to how I understand the ministry that I've been called to in Costa Rica. So let's go back to the garden for a minute and that word abide. Abiding in its purest sense, I think is probably the best way that we can describe God's relationship with the first created humans before the fall, together in the garden, unspoiled, uninhibited, no barriers, just a beautiful, peaceful, perfect coexistence. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that in many ways, the rest of human history has been about God trying to recover what was lost when that perfect abiding relationship with his good creation was corrupted and broken. And I think that when Jesus said to the disciples that whoever ate that bread and drank that wine would abide in him and that he would abide in them, that Jesus was saying, friends, brothers and sisters, here is a glimpse of what was lost. Here is a glimpse of what perfect companionship friendship, relationship, loving connectedness, and holy bondage feels like. And by the way, this abiding should be the goal for each one of you in your relationships with God and with one another. I love the fact that it's food, bread and wine, and table imagery that scripture uses to make this point. Through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, all of us have been invited to the heavenly banquet to abide with him. But pay attention because there, there are some very important things that we have to understand if we're going to be able to fully experience everything that that banquet has to offer. First, we were all invited there as equals. No one has a more or less important seat at that table. No one is any closer to or farther away from the head of that table. Did you all watch the coronation of King Charles a few weeks ago? Did you hear the way the commentators talked about who was sitting where and why certain people were given certain spots And why other people had been relegated to the third row? Okay, that is nothing like the banquet table that Jesus has invited us to. At Jesus' table, there is no power, there is no privilege, and there is no preference. I may speak Spanish, you may speak English, you may have a college degree, and I may not have gone to high school. You may be a business owner and I may harvest sugar cane with a machete. I may feel the Holy Spirit jumping up and down and clapping inside a makeshift tent and you might feel the exact same thing sitting in a pew in a 600-year-old cathedral. When we take our place at Jesus' table, we are children of God. That's all. 
Now that is not in any way a denial of all of the ways that God has made us wonderfully, intentionally distinct from one another. To the contrary, those differences are undeniably important parts of the beauty of God's good creation. But there is no status attached to those differences. We aren't better or worse, less or more. We are God's children and he desires to abide in us and for us to abide in him. Now you may be asking yourselves, what in the world does any of this have to do with mission work in Costa Rica? Well, I'd say everything. If we can approach our missional relationships with this abiding posture, then I think we will be much closer or at least moving in the right direction to trying to recover what was lost in the garden. When our strategies for local mission and outreach begin with our asking not, what are we gonna do? But instead ask, what are we gonna be? And that leads us to spending time getting to know the people in our community that we believe God is calling us to develop servant relationships with. And if the mission partnerships that we seek abroad focus on being church together so that through worshiping and praying, fellowshipping, serving, and witnessing together, we can figure out what it is about each of us that is distinctly beautiful from one another and the ways that God is calling us to work together. Then the result is abiding with others, not fixing them. What is it then that these abiding relationships do to us? Well, they move us from a place where our actions define our relationships into a place where our relationships define our actions. I'm gonna say that again and I want you to listen carefully. Abiding relationships move us from a place where our actions define our relationships into a place where our relationships define our actions. I think there is a huge difference between those two things. Here's what I mean by that. I think it's natural for us to see the world in such a way that by observing the things that you do, I can draw conclusions about the relationships that you have with people or institutions. I can watch the way you interact with your kids or your spouse and that defines for me what that relationship is. I can watch the way that you interact with your coworkers and that defines for me the kinds of working relationships that you have. I can watch how you guys spend Saturdays in the fall and that defines very clearly for me the relationships that you have with certain universities. Our mission mentality can follow that same pattern. I donate such and such. I build such and such. I do such and such. All of which define a relationship in which I have things resources, knowledge, time, etc., that somebody else needs. I've defined a relationship in which I've placed myself above 
not beside the other. Which begs the question, where's my place at Jesus's table in that scenario? Do I even have a place at Jesus's table in that scenario? Or have I just created my own table? But look at what happens when we switch the order and the relationship defines the actions. Asbury has had a relationship with us in Costa Rica for about 15 years. And over that time, you all have gotten to know me and my family and our staff. And next Saturday, I get to do one of my favorite things that I get to do as a missionary. When the buses pull up at the Missions and Ministry Center after the long ride over the mountains and people start unpacking the bus and I'll watch the people who have been before. And when they see Ugo there waiting for them and they see Fanny in the kitchen cooking dinner and then on Monday morning when Ugito and Pedro show up for work, those smiles, those hugs, that laughter, sometimes even tears, those things are the backbone for everything that we do together. It starts with those relationships. So we're not building a sanctuary at a new church start in Santa Marta right now because I just drove by there one day, noticed there wasn't a church and decided there should be a church there. It's because of the relationship that we have with the Methodist Church of Costa Rica, a relationship that we have invested in over the last 20 years, that they reach out to us to see if we can partner with them and together help fulfill a need that they have. So we may very well wind up doing the exact same things that I mentioned just a minute ago. Giving, doing, helping, But those things mean something different when they're born out of a relationship that is rooted in being before we get to the doing. Unfortunately, there is a long history of unhealthy relationships that have been built around the world in the name of missions because the actions of the servants defined the relationship instead of letting the relationships define the actions. So how do we do it? How do we safeguard ourselves and our vision for missional relationships from falling into that trap of creating unhealthy relationships of dependency? Well, to begin with, we need to know that it takes time. It takes time to build trust and confidence with a person or a community so that they'll be willing to tell us the truth about the needs or the challenges that they may have. It's the proverbial marathon. It is not a sprint. It also takes listening. We have to be intentional about listening to what people are telling us and be humble enough to accept that how people understand themselves and the ways that we can engage in fruitful relationships might be different from what we thought. But mostly it takes keeping our eyes on Jesus and remembering how he lived a life of abiding presence with the people around him. My favorite missions moment in the whole Bible is the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. 
there's not a whole lot of drama in that story. It's mostly just Jesus stopping and taking the time to listen and talk to someone who desperately needed to be seen and heard. And it changed her life. And I hesitate to try and make it sound simple because it's not. It is tiring, hard work building healthy relationships. But maybe it really does just come down to seeing and hearing, to loving and abiding with the people who, just like us, Jesus has invited to the table to eat and to drink. So when you leave here this morning, I hope that you will leave hearing this. When we commit to partnering with one another in ministry, to having a long-term covenant relationship with one another, we are not committing to construction work. We're definitely not committing to taking selfies with cute children or fixing people. We're committing to building the kind of abiding relationships that will allow God to work through us and among us so that his kingdom can come and his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.